Good morning. Uh, Merry Christmas, two weeks in advance. Crazy time of year, wonderful time of year. And uh, I'm joining with you in the, uh, in the craziness and in the joy of it. I also want to uh, welcome our campuses joining us here uh, together from uh, across Northwest Indiana. And uh, we've had these uh, kids choirs. I may or may not have had a, a girl in, in one of them, possibly. Uh, and our campuses have all had that. And kind of continuing the theme of, uh, of, of kids today, you know, one of the one of the great things about being a pastor truly are, is the children of the church. Uh, their, their parents may not like me, but the kids love me. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to, you know, Petra D, Petra D, and hear those things, and they, it's really, really cute. Uh, as an example of some of the blessings of, of being a pastor to children, uh, I, I, I enjoy their artwork, and sometimes they will share their artwork with me. I got this one uh, two Sundays ago. If you take a look at it, I, I just preached a message on, on uh, Israel and the Gentiles and God's plan in Romans 11, and uh, after the service I got this one, the Jew's slumber uh, has led to the Gentile's salvation. We're going to keep our eye on that young man. I think he's got some pastoral potential, don't you think? <laughs> or perhaps artistic potential. We are concluding today Romans 11, and with this we are concluding not only chapter 11, but really the entire primary doctrinal section of Romans 1 through 11. We have five chapters to go, and I just want to tell you how proud I am of our church family and the response that you have had to this, uh, this entire series. I probably don't have to tell you that there are many churches and many church folk who just wouldn't go for this. Uh, they would say, uh, it's, it's too deep, it's too long, it's too much. But here, not only have you hung in there, you actually have seemed to enjoy it. And I hope that you have. Amen. And, you know, you can tell a lot about people by what they crave. Like my, my, my daughters, they would eat candy all morning long, but then their children, right? Maturity craves things that are good for us, and I, I take this as a sign of health in our church family that this series in Romans has uh, fed us, has, has nurtured us. There's probably no deeper or better section of Scripture than Romans 1 through 11, and I just want to thank you for hanging in there, listening, wanting to grow, and being an encouragement to me in it. There lies within the human heart, a latent desire for us to understand our place, to understand how we, how we fit in the, the, the big picture, the grand story, the larger purposes of life. We want something very much that brings cohesion to the fragments of our life, our society, our family, our relationships. So often it feels like things are just going off in all these directions, and we, we, we want something that unites this, that brings it all together. One thing that explains everything. Famous physicist Stephen Hawking, uh, his search for this one thing was recently told in a, in a movie, I think in 2014, uh, that had this title, I think it summarizes this well, The Theory of Everything. 
he sought an answer to all of these questions in one mathematical, astronomical solution that explains all that is. Now, most of us are not as sophisticated, but we still have the same desire, don't we? We want something that explains everything. Why am I here? Where did I come from? What is my destiny? And all the religions of the world, in some way, are attempting to answer those very basic questions. Pop culture does this by pushing storylines that attempt answers. And I'm going to guess nearly every child that was on the stage or stages of our church today has seen Lion King. If you're a parent of a child, you see these over and over again. Now, I'm not going to do any uh, voice impersonations, but listen to this very famous explanation, the theory of everything, from the Lion King, Mufasa. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope, Simba. But dad, don't we eat the antelope? Mufasa, yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all connected in the great circle of life. The circle of life. <laughs> in Avatar, it's Awa, this week's Star Wars. Some people excited about that, possibly. All right. Rise of Skywalker, it's the force in balance, okay? What are all of these? These are all attempts to give a narrative, a story, something ultimate that I can, in my little place, I can sort of feel my spot in the larger thing that is going on in the universe. To quote the Star Wars heroine, I need someone to show me my place in all this. And I think she speaks for all of us. We desperately want to know our place in all of this. And this is where Christianity tells a story. Christianity tells a story that is the true story. Okay? This is the one true story, a grand story that explains you and I's place in all of this. And Romans 11, verse 36, this one little verse we're looking at today, tells it simply, tells it succinctly, honestly. I love this verse. I've been looking forward to this verse. And I love statements like this in Scripture that just, like, just bam, this is it. This is what it's all about right here. And it flows with all that we have been seeing in Romans about the one true God who redeems mankind through his son Jesus how he does this in so many ways is beyond our comprehension. That was last week's message. That, and, and even the Apostle Paul, he gets to the end of explaining better than anybody has ever explained God's plan of salvation, and he looks back at that whole explanation and he just goes, whoa, right? How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. The Apostle Paul says, this blows my mind, and it should blow all of our minds. And then we get to verse 36. Here's our verse today. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's it. One little verse, kind of poetic, isn't it? It's got a little uh, meter to it. Three clauses, all with the same subject, him. 
And who is the him, by the way? The him here is God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the creator of all that is. That is this God that is the subject, the one true most high God, that is the him. And then you have three prepositions all explaining all things, how they relate to him. Notice it says, from, through, and to. From him are all things, through him are all things, to him are all things. From, through, and to. And what are these all describing? They're telling the story. They're telling the one true story of his glory, the glory of God. And let's just walk through these. My outline's very simple. <laughs> to, through, or from, through, and to. You'll get it. Perhaps I will by the time I'm done. Where did everything come from? Everything came from him. This is speaking of this God as the creator of the universe, the starting point of the Bible. Is it just a coincidence that the first book of the Bible is named Genesis? No, it's explaining where did all of this come from. And this is a foundational truth that maybe within the church or within Christian homes, we just accept that. Like, we just believe that. But do we see how God as the creator of the universe stands in such contradiction to so many other human answers to where the universe came from? I mean, the, the predominant theory on this is, in our day, material evolution, which is man's attempt to explain the universe without God. There is no God. Everything that is here is within this closed universe. But the Bible says that the universe is not eternal. It had a starting point, and it started when God created. And therefore, God as the creator transcends all of this creation. This is something that the materialists and the evolutionists scoff at. On the other end of the spectrum, we have the circle of life people, okay? Circle of life, right? These people, okay? And what, what, are they, what are they believing? They're not saying that there is no God. They are saying that everything is God. And this is, by the way, about one-seventh of the world's population, okay? Billion-plus people. This is their basic framework that the, the universe is huge and massive, and it is itself God, a billion people, most of whom live in Hollywood, by the way. They look at the scale of the universe. They look at the, the, the wonder of the universe, and they don't see a transcendent creator. They see the universe as God, which is a convenient way, by the way, of, of saying that we're gods as well, because a pantheist, okay, all things are God, that includes the stars and includes you and me. We're all divine. Don't you feel better about yourself? That's what added, that's, that was the temptation in the garden. What did Satan say? You eat of the tree, the, the, the tree you're, go, you're gonna be like God. You're gonna know good from evil. And there was within Eve's heart and then Adam's heart a desire to be divine. And they took and they ate. And this same appeal of pantheism lives on very well today. So pantheism de deifies creation which deifies us. But Christianity looks at the complexity of the universe and the scale of the universe and the, the atoms and the molecules and, 
and all the other things that are part of it, and we don't deny that there is a God, and we don't deify creation. Rather, we see that there's a creator who is behind all of that. Indeed, everything is from him. From him are all things. Affirmed in other places in the Bible, here's 1 Corinthians 8. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Ephesians 4, one true God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So where did all of this, how did all this come to be? God made it. It all is from him. Everything in this universe from him. For from him and through him. What is this talking about? This is talking about how does all of this, how is all of this sustained? How does all of this universe continue to go? It's by God. Now you might say, no, 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 no. You got to understand, Pastor Steve, how naive you are. The power of the universe, it's this nuclear energy that exists between the protons and the neutrons. This amazing power. That's what that's the key to the universe. No, 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 Pastor Steve, you got to realize that it's it's gravity, right? It's gravity that keeps the earth exactly where it needs to be in relation to the sun. Any closer we burn up, any further away we freeze. Gravity is the key to all of this continuing on. No, no, Pastor Steve, you don't understand. It, it, it's atmospheric power that draws water out of the oceans and winds that blow it across the land so that rain can come down and we can sustain our life. It's atmospheric forces that keep everything together. No, Pastor Steve, you've got to realize, no, no, it's that heart that's inside of us, that's beating, there's a whole electrical system in the body that's kind of sending a signal and it beats exactly as we need it to beat and sends nutrients to all of our body and blood and, and, and it does that like millions of times over the course of our life. We are sustained by electricity, we're sustained by gravity, we're sustained by nuclear power. I agree. But where do all these things come from? They come from God. And they continue to come from God. If God suddenly vanished, everything in the universe poof, vanishes with it. He is sustaining all things by his power. And what is the ultimate purpose of everything? This is the third clause. To him. What is the goal? God is the goal. To him are all things. To him be the glory. And we see here that Paul ends all, not only Romans 11, but this whole teaching section of Romans 1 through 11 with a summary statement. What is, what is the purpose of all of that justifying? What is the purpose of that union with Christ? What is the purpose of Jesus coming and dying? And what is the purpose of atonement? And what is the purpose of all the things that he's talking about? Where is it all going? It is all going to him. To him are all things, to him be the glory, which are basically parallel statements. To him are all things, and to him be the glory, basically saying the same thing. All of this is flowing 
to God and his glory. What is the purpose of the universe? Why, why is it the size that it is? Why is it the makeup that it is? Why, why are all those elements on the periodic table consistently seen throughout? The, what are they there for? Why, why all of these things? What is the purpose of earth? What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of history? Why? To him be the glory. If you're looking for the theory of everything, if you want to have one thing that is the thing, that is the unifying principle for all of the ups and downs and the dramas of our life and the course of human history, it is this one. It is the glory of God. Now this explains why God does what he does in the way that he does it. God does all things to ensure that in the end, he alone is the one who gets the glory. This is the unifying principle for so much of the doctrinal teaching that we've been doing. Why does God save in the way that he did? Why did he, why did he elect? Why did he predestinate? Why did he send Jesus? Why was he resurrected? Why, why salvation that is by faith alone and no human merit at all? And on and on we could go. In every one of these cases, we see that you step back and say, well, who gets the glory for that one? God. Who gets the glory for that one? God. Who gets the glory for that one? God. It's almost as if the purpose behind why God did what he did the way that he did was the glory of God. And that's exactly what Paul says here. To him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is true of everything, but I think it is most powerfully seen in the way that God saves sinners. And I think that's, that's the, really the point, because in context, he, he hasn't been talking about nuclear physics. Uh, he hasn't been talking about, you know, oceanic uh, patterns. He's, he's been explaining how God makes sinners righteous. That's Romans 1 through 11. And all the entanglements and all the things that that includes. What is the purpose behind the way God makes sinners? Us righteous. What is the ultimate goal? And here we have it. It's all for him. Some other passages that say the same thing. Romans 16. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians 1.5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 4. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can't read the Bible, actually, and be honest, and not see this unifying, underlying, ultimate goal, which is the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? We sing about it. Gloria. And many of you were thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> that was not in the notes. It just came to me in the moment. <laughs> what is the glory of God? Let's make sure that we understand it. God's glory is the infinite worth of God. As C.S. Lewis said, the weight of his glory. It includes all of his attributes, all of his purposes, all of his actions, all of his perfections, all of his beauty, all 
of his excellencies. It is both the intrinsic worth of God, which is the internal reality, and the outward expression of that worth, which in the Bible is described as glory light. Last night I was talking with my girls about uh, glory. I said, hey, where in, where in the Christmas story do we see glory light? And they were thinking and they were thinking and of course the answer is the angel's announcement. They shone with the glory of God. What is that? It's that Old Testament Shekinah glory that came down when they dedicated the temple and that led Israel at night in the wilderness and that we see in the angels as they make the announcement and we see in Jesus at his transfiguration and that we will see in him forever once we are there in eternity with God. It is a brilliant light and those that see it, they don't just stand there and go, look, it's so pretty. They fall on their face. It terrorizes human beings. It's so brilliant, it's so white. The Bible says heaven is lit by the glory of God. It is lit by the intrinsic worth that comes out of God, emanates from him as light. If you like Christmas lights, you're gonna love the glory of heaven, okay? You're gonna love it. So everything for him then means that God purposes, plans, and enacts all of the things that he does in a way that ensures that in the end, he alone gets the glory. Not man, not angels, not demons. God gets the glory. Everything good and glorious flows to him. Like think about, think about a raindrop that lands on the top of the Teton, a Teton mountain. And that raindrop finds some other drops and becomes a What's the word I'm looking for? It becomes a globule. That's the only thing that comes to my mind of water. And it combines with others and, and it finds its way down and it kind of lands in a little dripping something or other that leads then to a little creek and leads to a, 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 a river. And that river eventually leads to where? It leads to the ocean. All the water ends up in the ocean. And that's a picture of how God works. You're, you're a drop, a very, very small drop, I might add. You're a basic H2O. That's all that you are. And when you were born, you landed on some mountain somewhere in Indiana. <laughs> and you thought, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And your life took a course in a direction. It flowed in a certain way. It had meanderings, it had ups, it had downs. But all the while, everything was heading towards the ocean of God's glory. And wherever you are right now in that journey, you might be up there in the, in the mountain, you might be in the Mississippi, you might be in the Gulf. But everything that is going on in your life and everything that will ever go on in your life, you can know is part of all things for him, for his glory. Everything's flowing that direction. You watching the news these days? You kind of concerned about what's going on in the world or our country, and you think, what, what is going to happen? It's all flowing towards the ocean. You got pain in your life? Are you suffering right now? 
got a trial that you're dealing with of some kind, you think, God, what's the purpose of this? Give me meaning in the midst of this. You're that little drop. Where am I going? Where am I going? You're heading towards the ocean. Everything is heading, ultimately, to the glory of God. That's the end game of all of it. To him are all things. So to summarize, where did all of this come from? God. Who is sustaining all of this? God. Where is it ultimately heading? God and his glory. So Romans 11.36 is not just a nice sort of academic uh, epilogue to a nice teaching on, on doctrine. It is the heart cry of every single person who has come to know God through his son Jesus Christ, who has seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4. Now there is within our heart a, not just a, an acknowledgement of it like the demons do, but a savoring of it and a delighting in it and a, and a wanting my life to be to the glory of God. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I want it all to be the glory of God. That's our heart cry. And that's why I think it's, it's one thing to read Romans 1 through 11, and you can read it academically. You can take a class and learn all the words and all the flow and all of that, fine. You can read it religiously because you're sort of religiously interested in the claims of Christianity and the gospel. But the real question, I think, is do you read it biographically? Do you see in this, these pages that we have been studying, do you see not just God's story, but do you see your story? Do you see how God is weaving your story into the, 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 the fabric of the big thing that he is doing. Do you see how the Bible explains your place in it? Can you read that verse and go, yes, all things for the glory of God. That's the heart cry of the Christian. And I just want to walk through that a little bit with you and try to, hey, let's just not just be like up here sort of understanding Romans 1 through 11. Let's make sure that we're getting it down here. What is, what is this story? What is the journey that we've been on? Well, we saw in Romans 1 that we don't all start out all things to the glory of God. No, we start off self-worshippers, do we not? Here's Romans 1 verse 18. Remember this? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We saw there in Romans 1, as a result of the fall, you know, Romans 1, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, starts off with mankind, good God, good creator, fellowship, relationship, love. But as a result of the fall, that all changed. Genesis 3, what would we say? From me, for from me, and through me, and to me, be all things. To me be the glory. Mankind self-worshipping, wanting my glory to be magnified. And the result of that, Romans 1 says, is that we are under the wrath and the judgment of God. We're on our way to hell forever. And where are we with God's glory? 
Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All mankind naturally born in sin. We're not like living and loving the glory of God. We're falling short of the glory of God. We're falling short of God's created purpose for us to glorify God in all that we do. We don't glorify God. We love ourselves. We live for ourselves. And so Romans, from the beginning, is is biographical regarding our spiritual state before God. Our worship is a mess. Our lives are a mess. Our society is a mess. The world is a mess. And the worst part is, the Bible says that our future is a total mess in a place called hell. But then we read in Romans 3 these amazing words. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, remember righteousness, right standing, right? Right standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And the gospel is that this God of great God, this creator God, this holy God, out of grace and mercy to us, sends his son Jesus, yes, Christmas, Bethlehem, into this world. And he died on the cross for our sins, was raised again for our justification and for uh, conquering of death and his resurrection. And now the message to all of us is, if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus, God will restore right standing with him, righteousness, and give us the gift of eternal life. And Romans goes on to explain this in terms like justification, where God declares us righteous. Are we righteous actually? No, but in the eyes of God we are. And he says, I promise to treat you as righteous as Jesus forever and ever and ever. We are in union with Jesus. And all the saving benefits, remember the, the carabiner and the, the rope from the ceiling and all of that, when, when Jesus fell or when, when Adam fell, we all fell with him, but when Jesus climbed, he carried us up with him again. We are in union with him. This is an act of God's sovereign love, Romans 8, his sovereign grace, Romans 9. And he purposed to do all of this before the universe was created, Romans 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And friends, salvation, it's many, many things. Our sins forgiven amongst them. But one of the wonderful things about salvation and becoming a Christian is that you get your worship right. You're worshiping the right person. You are worshiping him in the way that he prescribed through his son Jesus. You now have that unifying principle of the universe that is the guiding principle of your life. Like we are back where God meant us to be. And we live our life to his glory. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's why, you know, worship and glory, these are such critical, important, wonderful, glorious themes in, in the Bible. And we've got to get it right. We've got to get it right. And on this point, I want to chase a little trail a second. Can I do that? Pastors sometimes do that, chase a little bunny trail. I'm going to chase a little bunny trail here. Because worship is so important, I want to talk about something with respect to our church. You know, over the last couple of years, there has been a, a increased interest and, and participation in what we have called worship nights. 
I think most of the ministries of our church have had some kind of a worship night. And it's been basically an hour or so, primarily music and singing. And this is a good thing, and I'm happy about it, okay? I'm happy about it. I've also, though, had a creeping concern that by implication, what we call worship nights being exclusively music and singing, that somehow we might sort of say those two are synonyms. They're the same thing. And I've talked with Pastor Dustin, talked with the elders, and we just wanted to encourage, how can we encourage God's people to sing to God in worship, but not minimize worship as only that? And so Pastor Dustin and I crafted this in a, a statement. I want to share this with you today as a guiding uh, principle for us moving forward. Worship is the privilege and lifeblood of the local church. Corporate worship is the gathered community of faith celebrating the gospel of Jesus in prayer, song, communion, singing, preaching of God's word, and giving. The recent surge in interest in gatherings dedicated to singing is a blessing. God's people singing to God is wonderful. While they are being called worship nights, we, want to, we, both, we, we both want to affirm them and avoid the possible error of equating worship with singing only. Let's enjoy the one without minimizing the other and treasure all the means of grace God has provided for his church. Okay? Singing, singing is a wonderful part of corporate worship, but so are these other ones, right? So, so to test this, for example, if we announced that there was a worship night and you got there and all we did was pray, would you leave disappointed? Like, oh, I thought we were going to worship, but all we did was pray. Do you see how that would be like a, man, you are really misunderstanding something here. Or I thought we were going to worship and all we did was have the Lord's Supper. See, see, worship is sacred. It's this overarching, wonderful word. And because it is so sacred, we need to be careful and not minimize it to any single expression. I love that one uh, sentence. Enjoy the one without minimizing the other and treasure all the means of grace God has provided for his people. I like that statement there. So what we see then is, now back off the rabbit trail. Here's what we see then, is that in salvation, God has reset our hearts, right? Romans 1, all the dishes of our heart is scattered, the table's upside down, the room is a mess. Romans 3 through 11, by God's grace, every dish is exactly where it's supposed to be again. Let the feast begin. Secondly, everything to him gloriously and wonderfully means that everything matters. Everything matters. Everything is a part of all things that are from God, all things that are through God, and everything that is for God. That means that every single thing in this world, and indeed every person in this room and in our church, is part of that thing, right? We all have a reason. We all have a, a purpose. And that means, friends, that your life is not meaningless. It means it, it, that no matter how insignificant you think that you are and that, that people don't care about you or that your, your life is, nobody's, nobody's, nobody thinks that I matter, you matter to the only one that it matters that you matter to. You matter to God. 
because you are a part of this creation. You are a part of all the things that are flowing to the ocean of his glory. It means our lives are not meaningless. It means our families and our stories have enduring purpose. It means that power and injustice and suffering in this world doesn't have the final word. Not even, not even death has the final say anymore. It means that everything that is and everything that happens somehow in the mystery of the purposes of God fits into what God is doing in this world. Even our suffering, Romans tells us, somehow works together for good for those who called, love God and called according to his purpose. Everything to him means that Christian relationships go on forever. Think of that. A Christian friendship that is a, fr- that is a friend forever. BFF. And it's true. Every Christian family relationship goes on forever. Every Christian marital relationship, while not married, is a relationship that lasts forever. I will be friends forever with Jennifer. And the friendship that is yet to come will be closer than even the best closeness marriage on earth offers. My two girls, so very precious to me. How deeply I long for them to know Christ as their Savior. And what this says here, all to him, it opens the door to the possibility of me enjoying that relationship with them forever to know that I can hopefully someday play with them, laugh with them, love them, talk with them forever. All things, all things to his glory. This week, Carolee and I went to a Christmas party. It was Daddy-Daughter Day. We went to a Christmas party. And uh, I did take a picture. I'm going to show it off here just for a second. So there we are before we left. And uh, so we went to this, uh, this Christmas party. On the way, I said, sweetheart, we're running late. I think by the time we get there, it's, they're only going to have vegetables left. <laughs> and she's like, no, daddy, no. <laughs> See, I want to do that forever. I want to do that forever. <laughs> so we went and did the party, and, and uh, we got in the car. We're, we're getting back on the interstate to drive home. And I, I said, hey, I said, sweetheart, what was your favorite thing tonight? I said, was it all the food? She says, no. I said, is it the candy cane that you're sucking on right now? Because she was in the background sucking on this candy cane. She says, no. I said, well, what was your favorite thing? She said, the hand holding. <laughs> I'm driving the car. Oh. But you want to know the honest truth? I want to hold her hand forever. And Madeline's hand. And Jennifer's hand. I won't be your pastor in heaven, but I want to enjoy heaven and the new earth with you. And you see, you take God out of the story, none of that's true. Like everything's meaningless, Ecclesiastes. There's no God, none of it's true. But there is a God. He is the most high God. And that most high God has purposed in this world to save sinners by grace through faith in his son Jesus Christ, infuses our lives 
with meaning. Now everything matters. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't matter. My life doesn't. No, no, everything matters. Every aspect of my life matters. Why? Because I'm a thing. What was the point of the sermon today? I'm a thing. I am an infinitesimally small thing, but I am part of the all things for his glory. And because I am a thing created by God, in Christ every aspect of my life can be through him and to him. So Christian, your life matters. Your week ahead, it matters forever. What you do and how you do it matters forever. Your service to God matters forever. Your quiet, behind-the-scenes obedience that nobody knows about matters forever. And when you are dead, and there's been many a winner that's gone over your grave, and everybody that knew you is dead also, even then, when they can't read your tombstone anymore because the engraving is worn off, even then, you matter. Your life matters. Why? All things to his glory. All things to his glory. And oh, what a difference salvation makes. That's, that's like, what a difference, you know, Romans 1 versus Romans 11. Romans 1, we're all going to hell. Romans 11, we're living for his glory. How do we explain that change? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God in our life. And I just want to ask you, friend, are you, like, are you living in Romans 1? Or are you in Romans 1, 1? Either positionally before God, because you have not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, or maybe in practice in the way that you're living your life. See it as something that matters to the only one it matters that it matters to. God, his glory. That's it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever.